Hi, welcome to Conscious Pathways, the podcast where we explore the intersection of education and social justice through transformative conversations. I'm your host, Brittany, and today I have a pretty thought-provoking episode on the role of books in our society, um, how book bannings impact the most underrepresented and vulnerable communities within our society. I've really enjoyed exploring and learning more about learning and literacy and reading. It's a topic that's really obviously near and dear to me. It's something that kind of got me interested and got me hooked on education and really changed the trajectory of my life in a lot of ways by finding a love for for learning and a love for reading uh, that just wasn't there in my my early learning and early experiences. So it's been so fascinating to just explore that and I hope that you've been enjoying these last couple of episodes centered around a particular topic of learning and reading and literacy. Um, So for today, like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about book banning, we're going to talk about the role of books in our society and how important that is, and we're going to talk a little bit about what the future looks like. So book banning has been an issue that we've been dealing with since really the creation of books, but we've really seen a uptick in book bannings across the United States within, I'd say, the last like 10 years or so, and when there's a topic that I don't fully understand or I don't really align with, there's something I always try to do is I try to just put my mind in another person, right? I try to think about it from that other perspective. So kind of shifting it a little bit to really understand where is this behavior coming from or where is this action coming from? And that perspective shifting kind of gives me a little bit of understanding. So I I may not agree with why someone is doing a certain action, or I may not agree with a behavior that someone is taking, but it helps me to understand where, 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 where are you coming from and how did we get to this thought process so that I can kind of understand that a little bit and then we can kind of find ways to work together. So in my thought, in my process of really trying to understand why are we banning books I've, in my research, I found that it comes from a couple of different ways. So in some ways we're banning books or the thought is because, you know, we're thinking that we're trying to protect children from topics that might be um, too big for them to understand or topics that might be, um, you know, too adult for them to engage with. So I think the thought is it's protecting children from these really big and hard conversations. So a lot of books are being banned that talk about racism, that talk about race, talk about critical race theory. We're banning books that are talking about diverse perspectives. So um, banning books from the LGBTQ plus community, banning books from you know gender non-conforming, trans perspectives, um, where we're just kind of banning these books that have these kind of very different perspectives than what is the typically thought of as the normal or typically thought of as, you know, the mainstream, you know, heteronormative ideas or the ideals. So part of that is coming from from that, is wanting to protect them from having to have these really hard conversations. And then another area that I'm seeing that it's coming from is a little bit of control, right? So if we can control the narrative, then we can control how people think, we can control how people Um, how their perspectives are. And so thinking of it as a little bit of like, we want to control the narrative a bit. So by banning certain books and certain topics, that is one way of controlling that narrative. But I think the most common that we are seeing is that there is a fear. There's a fear that 
we are having kids grow up too fast. There's a fear that we're exposing children to concepts that they're not able to fully understand. Uh, there's a fear that, you know, if by exposing students to these concepts that this is what they will become, right? So exposing children to concepts about trans students and exposing them to the idea that trans people simply exist in our, our world, the idea then could be that, oh, by exposing them to that, that means that they are going to become trans or by exposing them to two parent households or um, exposing them to same-sex family households will then make them become gay or or something like that. I think, again, I'm trying to understand. So if I am way off base with that, please feel free to, to have a conversation with me. But from my research and from my conversations with people, that is what I have gathered to be what these main concerns are. Now, when we look at these issues and we kind of take a different perspective on that. So if the fear is that we're exposing students to concepts that are a little bit too big and beyond their understanding, that's a legitimate concern. And that's something that educators are also very aware of. And we're not wanting to expose them to concepts that go far beyond their understanding, right? So we've talked about this a lot on this podcast, but the idea of developmentally appropriate practices. So are the materials that we're bringing in, is it appropriate for the students that we have in our classroom right now where they are developmentally? And so we're constantly looking at that. And so when we're looking at books to bring into the classroom, we are making sure that it is going to be developmentally appropriate. And also there's a really big thing that we need to do within our classrooms to make sure that our students and our community is ready to have bigger conversations, is preparing them to have big conversations, right? So we do children a big disservice when we assume that a topic is too big for them, or we assume that they can't understand something, or we assume that they're not ready to talk about these bigger topics because they can see it, like their environment around them. They see that people around them have different skin color. They see that people are being treated differently. And so by not engaging them in these conversations and not bringing them with us and having these conversations with us, we're doing a disservice and we're leaving them to make assumptions on their own. We, we've talked about, when I talked to Dr. Jones in our last episode or a couple episodes ago, we talked about how students, their thinking can be very black and white. Um, they don't have a lot of room for nuance. And so like, you know, adult brains, children's brains are trying to make sense of the world around them. And sometimes when we don't understand something, we'll fill in, our, our little brains are so fab, they're like they're just so fabulous. They'll fill in the blanks with information to make the story make sense. Our brains are very story oriented. And so if something's not making sense, we're gonna fill in those blanks with something that does make it make sense. And those fill in the blank pieces might not be the most accurate. And so we're doing them this great disservice when we aren't having these conversations about race and we aren't having these conversations about things that are happening within their community, because that means that they're gonna fill in those blanks with whatever makes sense in their tiny child brain right now and that could be things that are stereotypes, that could be things that are perpetuating prejudice and perpetuating bias unintentionally. Again, these things don't make them bad people. This just means that they're trying to make sense of an already very confusing topic. And so what we can do in our classroom and as educators is one, we can prepare our community to have these conversations. So we can talk to them about how do we have these big conversations? We could talk to them about concepts that like empathy, concepts like respect, concepts like compassion. We can start there. 
those those are topics that we're probably already doing, right? That's social emotional development right there. And we talk about those concepts first so that we are prepared to have handle more difficult conversations later. We don't just jump straight into race and racism. The first book I open, and now we're talking about this because that's a lot. And again, that leaves a lot of room for them to fill in blanks with information that might not be accurate. So when we're talking about book banning, it's a really unfortunate situation because that means that a lot of children, a lot of communities aren't having access to books about diverse perspectives and diverse individuals and diverse backgrounds. And when we look at our world, it is beautiful because it is diverse. You know, if we just went out, even we just go outside and look at nature, if you just go outside and every single tree was the exact same, it would get a little boring to look outside after a while. If every flower looked exactly the same, if every day looked exactly the same, that would be pretty boring and that would take a lot of the beauty, right, out of it. But our world is so beautiful because it is so diverse. And when we're banning books, we're taking out some of those diverse perspectives. And there's so many great communities that are so important that need uplifting and need to be heard. And when we're taking those books out of the classroom, it was really difficult. And so I know in a lot of communities and a lot of counties and a lot of states right now, when it comes to banning a book, all it really needs is one person to bring it up and one person to say this book shouldn't be in our classrooms. And then the book is immediately pulled and then it's pulled for review. Now, obviously, if this happens a lot, that means a lot of books need to go through review. And there's a lot of I have a lot of questions about this review process, because who's a part of this review process? Do you have a diverse panel of individuals on a panel to actually look at these books and, and ask specific questions about whether or not this is appropriate? I've worked in some school communities where there were books that were banned based on topics that they were, were discussing or characters that were in the book. So certain schools like, you know, federal head starts or state funded preschools, they'll ban um, characters like Disney characters um, and things like that because it's not realistic. They want the children to have access to literature that is realistic and is, um, you know, is relevant to their everyday life. So those kind of characters typically aren't allowed to be in some of these classrooms because of that reason. And I can see where they're coming from in terms of that particular book banning, but I think a lot of kids have access to media and these characters are ways that they can bring in, you know, their own experiences in the classroom. So while I personally wouldn't ban Disney characters, I do agree that there's other literature out there that is more relevant to students. But if that is the way that they are engaging with literature the most, if the only way that I can get this kid to be excited about a book is to have a Disney character on it, then for a little while, I'm going to keep bringing those books in because I want them to be excited about literature. I can't get you excited about literature if it doesn't have anything that is relevant to you or that excites you. So that book ban was kind of, I was on the fence about that. I was like, I see where you're going with that one, but also being able to personalize their experience and be able to be excited and talk about something that they're really excited about and care about. And again, get excited about literature in that way. Eh. There were other books that we were banned based on topics. So topics like um, there's a book that was banned because a tree died in it. And, you know, they said that it would be too scary for the kids to see it, but 
that's also a part of nature. And so I can get why on like a larger scale, why we would just want to pull that book from the classrooms and not have it available. But again, I think books can lead us to really important and really great conversations. And so when we just take it out and we don't have those conversations, like death is a part of life. And I can understand how that could be really scary. And I can understand that students who have already experienced that at a young age, how that can be in some ways activating. So I can see why that book ban was put into place. But also, if we prepare our educators for having these tough conversations with students, right, by just not talking about it, that also means that students who have that experience in that background aren't feeling seen and heard and validated, right? I know that in my experiences, when I've lost someone, when I don't get to talk about that person, I feel sad. I feel better when I get to talk about that, when I get to bring out these really great experiences I've had with them. And so there's ways that we can talk about these really hard conversations with students about the cycle of life and, and nature. And there's ways that we can do that and that is still very developmentally appropriate, but that does mean that we have to do a lot of work as leaders with our educators. So there's a lot of work that goes into, you can't just do it and then be done with it. Like, okay, we read the book, we talked about it, it's whatever. It's a community-wide process when we have big conversations with young students. And that means that teachers need to be properly trained on how to do that. And so the easy way out is to then ban this book and not have it in there so that we just don't have to do all of that. But a more holistic approach would be, let's make sure that teachers are equipped with ways to handle these conversations. And so those are the type of books that I've seen banned in schools before. But again, I think there's ways that we can use these books to help. When is book banning a good thing. <laughs> and we just talked a little, a lot about book banning, but when is book banning a good thing? Well, it very rarely is, but there are some books that, like in, in a lot of our, our various forms of media, there are some books that just don't age well. There are books that have stereotypes. There are books that have harmful language that maybe at the time that they came out was acceptable and people didn't think about that the same way. Same thing with movies and books and, and shows, right? There's just things that as we have evolved as a society and has, as we have engaged more with diverse voices and, and vulnerable communities, we've kind of seen like, oh, okay, this language is hurtful or this idea is hurtful. And so when can book banning be a good thing? Well, when we look at books that perpetuate harm, in that way, because unintentionally, when that book came out, it probably did not mean to perpetuate harm, but there are books that do have really hurtful language and stereotypes and prejudice in it. Again, do I think they should be fully banned? I guess it depends on the book, it depends on the community, it depends on what is being perpetuated. For the most part, probably we don't want to have books that have harmful language in it with young students, because again, their, their thinking is very black and white, and so it can be really hard for them to engage with these types of topics. I think when we have books that have difficult themes in it, it can be a way that we segue into more conversation about that. But books that are just perpetuating stereotypes, there's books that perpetuate hurtful stereotypes about accents. Um, I forget the name of the book, but there was a book that I kind of took out of my classroom that had kind of been in there for a long time. And when I finally looked at it and I read it and I was like, I don't, think this book is appropriate, but it had, you know, really hurtful 
ways in which accents were talked about in that book. And that just didn't seem like there was any way to turn that into a positive conversation about whether this is right or wrong. It just seemed like it perpetuated that and it its purpose was to make fun of. And so I kind of just took that out of my class. I was like, I don't think this is appropriate. I don't want to read this book and I don't want my students to, to think that this is kind of like an okay thing. So there are times when I personally have taken books out of my classroom because it just was not appropriate and it wasn't something that I wanted to have in my classroom community. I think things like that can be used as case studies later, but at such a young age, again, while their thinking is so black and white and they don't really have a room for nuance in their thinking, sometimes it just does not fit developmentally into where they are right now. And so those types of books, yes, let's pull them from the classroom, but the other types of books that aren't actively perpetuating stereotypes and prejudice, it kind of just depends on where your school community is in terms of these conversations. If your school has not had these conversations and your school has not introduced big big topics or big um, themes yet, then maybe we just start a little bit smaller and we just start, like I said, with those themes of respect, with those themes of empathy and fairness and justice. And we just kind of start talking about those things first to set the ground stage for us to then eventually have these bigger conversations. Books can be really powerful gateways into deeper conversations. So like I've kind of been talking about, we can use books as a, a vessel to deepen those conversations, right? So after you've set the stage in your classroom, in your community about, you know, these kind of more social emotional cues, respect, fairness, justice, after we've kind of set the stage for those, and you can use books absolutely to set the stage for those things, right? But once we've, your, your, your classroom community seems like they're ready to start diving into more deeper conversations, then we can start bringing in books to kind of help us to bridge that gap into there. So ways that I've typically done this is I will use, like, like I said, books as the conversation pieces. So I'll bring a book into a classroom and whatever that theme of that book might be as I'm reading it, I might ask questions out loud and they might not be questions that I'm directly asking to the students, but they might just be questions that I'm just starting that, that question kind of posing model right now. So I might ask, you know what? I just read this book and I haven't seen anyone in this book that looks like me. Have you seen anyone in this book that looks like you? And starting those conversations with students that way and start deepening that about diversity, about equity, about inclusion, right? And we don't even have to use those specific words because those words don't really have much meaning to them right now. But that's why I say you start with the words that do have meaning to them right now, like respect, like fairness, like kindness, those are going to be words that do have meaning to them and do have weight. And so attaching that to these topics is going to be really important. It's going to really move, move you along as you're continuing to build upon, you know, your classroom and build upon these topics. In my last episode on literacy and early education and learning to read, we mentioned that Learning to read, one, it's not the most intuitive thing, right? Our brains aren't necessarily set up for this process. So it does take some intentional and systemic work to get us to the point where we are reading and comprehending. But in that, I mentioned that simply reading to children in early education 
reading them books doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to pick up on reading any faster, right? That there's not a, a there's not a strong correlation in between those two things. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't read to young children. That doesn't mean that it doesn't mean anything when we read to young children. It just means that purely reading to your, to a child every day is it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to pick up a book one day and be able to just read it on their own, right? Sometimes they can do that, but that's more memorization rather than actual reading, like actual like understanding the phonics of it and actually reading the words. Kids can memorize things all day, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're reading. So that connection, that might not be the connection for reading. But I think it is still really important to read to young children and to have diverse voices that we're reading to young children because of all of the wonderful things that reading to children promotes, right? There's social emotional learning as we're reading to young children, as we're building relationships with them. It's a really great way to bond with young children. It's a really great way to form those really healthy um, attachments with young children. It also helps them with their cognitive development. So as we're reading and we're asking questions and they're looking at the book and they're tracking things, right? It's helping them to, to kind of develop their thinking skills, develop their critical thinking skills, develop their, their analysis of the world around them. So books have this really powerful way of engaging us in a lot of different ways. And so reading to young children, while it might not mean that they're going to be able to pick up a book in kindergarten and say, I can read now, it does form some really powerful relationships. And it also forms these really powerful associations with reading as fun, right? So again, as I'm bringing that back in of, you know, if if a child's best way that they can connect with books is because their favorite character is in that book, because their favorite Disney character or whatever character is in this book, then yes, let's incorporate that more into it. I've had kids who were really, I had this one child who was really into garbage trucks, just absolutely loved the garbage trucks as most two-year-olds do, but he had a deep obsession with these things. Like they were his, his special interest was garbage trucks. And the only time that I've really seen him intentionally and thoroughly and just his, his, his attention to this book, because I brought in a book on garbage trucks. I didn't even know this book existed. I just found it at the library and I brought it in. And this kid who was just always going a million miles a minute, he was always everywhere, always moving, always like he was just always doing the most that I loved that kid, but he was always doing the most. That was the most still I've ever seen that child. He sat on his cot and he just read this book. He was flipping all the pages. He was showing me all the pictures like, look, this one's called this. And then this one does this. And that's the first time I've ever seen him get that excited about a book. He's usually pretty good on engaging with books for the most part, but he didn't really ask questions. He didn't really like engage with it in any intentional kind of way until I brought in a book that was on his special interest. And so those type of moments are really powerful because it it switches their brain to thinking, oh, books can be exciting. Books can be fun. Maybe I like these this book thing, right? And so that's really, really important because then as we're learning to read, there's that excitement going into it. So it's really important that we are reading to young children because there's all these really great, beautiful benefits to it. And it's not just about learning to read later on. There's so much beautiful things that are happening when we're reading to children in this moment right now. And that's why there's such a great vessel for exploring diverse thought processes and exploring different perspectives, right? 
I would love it. And I talk about this all the time, but your library, your local library is such a great resource. As educators, oftentimes we do have to put in things from our own pockets. So sometimes we have to get our own materials and sometimes just because we want more, right? Sometimes the school will provide most things, but the school can't provide everything. So sometimes that means we're buying books or sometimes that means we're buying additional resources or we're buying, you know, just things for our classroom because we know that our students would enjoy it because they know that our students will gain from it. And so books can be really pricey and expensive. So sometimes we'll get books donated to us from parents. We always love when parents would donate books to us or we'll get donations of books from other places. But sometimes when you're just specifically looking to add in some more diverse voices and you're looking to be intentional about the books that you're bringing in, the library is a really amazing resource. So in my classroom, every Friday after work, I would go to the library, I'd return whatever books that I had for that week, and I'd you know go to the children's section and I'd look at the books. And I would spend probably 30 minutes to an hour in the library after work just looking at the books. And Again, I want to be intentional about what I'm bringing in and the library is a great resource for that. So I would get, you know, books from the children's section, kind of, you know, just children's books based on whatever the theme that we were talking about, whatever my students were interested in, um, or if there's kind of specific topics that I wanted to explore with them or I wanted to see if they would be interested in, I would use books to do that too. And I'd also go to the nonfiction section and look at books about usually books that had a lot of pictures in it. So it might be like encyclopedias with like, you know, kids encyclopedias with lots of pictures in it uh, that they would be interested in looking at. I would get books um, on art, just things that they might be interested in looking at. And I'd also get books on different cultures. So I might get a book on China that would look at, you know, you know, the kids from China would look at the dress from China, the food from China. So I just bring in lots of books about just various different things. It could be bugs, it could be birds, it could be dinosaurs, really anything. So I'd get a good mixture of books that I wanted to read in the classroom and books that they might just be curious about exploring. And one thing that I would always do is I would look at the community that I'm teaching in. So I'm looking at the students and the families that are part of my classroom, but I'm also looking at the students in the class and the and the families that are a part of my entire school community at large, right? And so when I'm doing that, you know, when I worked at a school in LA, we had a lot of different families from a lot of different backgrounds, from a lot of different jobs. And I wanna make sure that our school community is represented in our classroom. And so I'm looking at their background. So I wanna make sure, you know, if there's students with varying different abilities and students with exceptional needs, I wanna bring in some books so that they also feel represented in our literature, in our classroom community. Um, I had, you know, students who had same-sex parents, and I would bring that into the classroom because that's a part of our school community, right? Um, and just bringing these books in to just explore and to talk about. And I wanted to make sure that through our literature, students knew that they could be represented, that their friends could be represented, that their community at large could be represented through books, and that they could see themselves and feel like they're a part of this. And so there's a really great tips to look at when you're thinking about, is my classroom as inclusive as it could be? If I look around my classroom, if I'm looking at the images around my classroom, who's there? But most importantly, who is not on in these images in my classroom, like the posters? Who's not represented in my toys? Who's not represented in my books? That's a really big question to ask yourself because students learn a lot 
by who's in the room, but they also learn a lot by like who's not in the room, right? They are very perceptive and they are very observant of their surroundings, right? And so they can tell who's important by who's represented and who's not being represented. And again, their brains are so black and white. Their brains are so, you know, one way or the other that it's nuance is kind of hard. And so they're not asking those questions. And so if they're seeing their classroom is primarily there's lots of white students on the walls. And when I look at our books, it's primarily white students with one mom and one dad. Um, or if I'm looking at my toys and all of my toys are primarily white students, able-bodied students, they're learning a lot about who's important and who's not important just by looking around that classroom. I didn't have to say anything and they are already learning about that. So it's really important to ask yourself when you're looking around your classroom, you're looking around classroom communities, who isn't here? Who are we not seeing? And to be really intentional then about what we're bringing in and what toys we're bringing in or what books we're bringing in or what images we're bringing around in their classroom. Because again, they're very observant and they're learning a lot. In addition to the library, you can utilize your school community as a resource for literacy and literature. So looking at, you know, the families in your classroom. So are they reading to their students at home? And if so, what books are they reading? What books are their kids interested in? Um, or if there's characters that there's their student is interested in, or if there's um, aspects of their culture that, you know, their student is interested in, we can definitely bring those into the classroom. We can bring those in in a truly authentic and engaging way that, you know, feels good for the students to share their culture and community and also feels good for the, the parents and the families to share that as well. So utilizing your parents and your families is a really great resource and also utilizing your, your classroom, your class and really utilizing your school community. So what books are in other people's classrooms really engage with them and talk to them about that. Maybe you can swap out books sometimes and, and utilize these to your advantage. Um, but just knowing that having diverse books in the classroom and exposing students to diverse voices and diverse perspectives is so important. Our students in our school community thrive when there's representation, when there is inclusion, when there's multiple diverse voices being represented. We as educators can really do only do so much in bringing in our own perspectives and our own experiences in the classroom, and we can bring in the perspectives of our students, but sometimes our school community might be pretty homogenous or pretty the same. I've worked in some classrooms where I've had a lot of diversity in the classroom, and I've worked in some classrooms where I've had pretty much almost all of my students were white students. So in those experiences, it's so incredibly important to again, look at who's not being represented here and let's bring those perspectives in through books, which are usually written from the people within those communities. Which brings me to another topic. As I'm looking at books in the library, I'm also looking at not only the pictures, right? I wanna have a diversity in the art. I wanna have a diversity in the stories that are being told. I wanna have a diversity in the authors that I'm bringing in. So I'm looking at who are the authors, right? And am I bringing in a diverse amount of voices through who's putting the words on the books? Am I bringing in diversity in who's putting the images on the books? And is there a diversity in the books themselves, right? So the reason why it would take me so long as I'm sitting in that library every Friday afternoon is that I'm flipping through the pages and literally reading every single book that 
I'm deciding if I want to bring into my classroom because I'm looking at the themes, I'm looking at the language that's being used, I'm looking at how the images on the page are depicting the students, right? Um, you know, oftentimes you see, you know, students of color not being drawn correctly or not being um, presented well, right? And so again, that's why it's so important that we look at who's writing the books and who's illustrating these books because we want everyone to be seen in a beautiful light and we want everyone to be seen as they should be. And so just being really intentional about whose voices are being shown in the classroom and then who's writing those voices, right? So I wanna have a diversity in that. I might have some white authors and some Asian authors and some African authors. And this is gonna be really important because they're from that community and they're going to be depicting that community in a way that makes sense, right? Because they're from that community. And so making sure that there's diversity in all of these different aspects is gonna be so important because that exposes students to these different perspectives, these different voices, and it allows them to explore in a state in a space that is very safe where they can ask questions, where they can explore dialogues. And on that note, I will wrap this up here because I feel like this is a topic that I can keep talking about on and on and on for basically ever. Um, it is actually a part of my Reimagine Education series. It's a training series that I do that discusses pretty much how to reimagine education for the world that we want it to see. So I'm working on an e-course for that. So pay close attention and, and keep tuned for when that launches. And I'll keep you guys updated on that as well. And I just want to thank you so much for listening to Conscious Pathways. Don't forget to like or subscribe to Conscious Pathways wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, we're also on YouTube. So if you would like to watch this video version of the podcast, you can check that out on YouTube. Also, don't forget to share or leave a rating for uh, Conscious Pathways. It really does help the podcast to grow and reach more listeners just like you. And until next time, navigate your conscious journey with courage and kindness. And I'll see you next time for more transformative conversations in education. Bye!